0: Funny how it be funny like I'm a clown, I am like I'm a clown, like I'm a clown, like I'm a clown, like I'm a clown, I'm a clown, I'm a clown. Rosebud. Rosebud. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Silver Screen Video with your hosts Jonathan and Jacob. We have a very special guest this week, but before we get to them, we have to know: How are you doing,
1: Jacob? Are you hanging in there, buddy? You know I'm hanging in there. It's uh, it's 40 degrees outside, man. I, I, I don't I don't like this shit. You know I don't like this cold weather. Um,
0: I don't want to hear it. I went on a morning run yesterday, and it was 35 degrees outside.
1: Okay, all right. So well, you know,
0: so I'll, the- I. I I take your 40 and I, and I, and I raise you 35 or no, I lower you 35.
1: You know, what's the point of like having geography and having this whole like equator thing? Like what's the point if it's going to be 40 degrees in New York and 35 in Florida, like literally I don't, you know, like. Especially when you take into account climate change isn't real. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, we're, yeah, we should clarify. We're an anti climate change podcast uh it's not real um um, this has been brought to you by our new sponsor exxon mobil exactly and next week's guest
0: will be tucker carlson to discuss it more with (laughs) us
1: Uh,
0: but anyway we digress talking about the weather for some reason i guess it is true as you get older your conversations do drift generally in the direction of weather
1: Um, Yeah, you you get like a hundred, you get like a thousand percent more concerned with the weather. Like my dad used (laughs) to watch the Weather Channel, just like watch that shit. And I'd be like, they show the same thing every eight minutes. And he'd be like, yeah, yeah, no, I know. And just keep watching it. Well, it's funny because Bill Burr has this thing
0: lately where he's been talking about how you can't even watch the Weather Channel because even the Weather Channel wants to give you bad news all the time. He's like, Mm. they keep thinking of these scary terms to describe what's going on with the climate. And he's Mm. like, I just don't want to hear that shit. Like, you shouldn't have to worry about doomsday talk watching the Weather Channel.
1: Now, see, that's interesting because I haven't watched the Weather Channel, obviously, in like years, you know, since, you know, my dad would have it on in the background or whatever. Like, back in my day, you know, uh, this like, I'm thinking 90s Weather Channel where it was just like a blue you know, like web 1.0 screen with just like white text on it. You know what I'm talking about? Like, well, yeah, I'll tell you, though, times have changed. I mean, I, for one,
0: love the Weather Channel. I have a TV in my office streaming the Weather Channel 24-7. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, now that everything's evolved. They talk on it and do all kind of shit now.
1: Yeah, like it's it's like the it's like that thing where like you know MTV used to play video. Like I feel like TV used to be more, you know. This is another conversation, but I feel like TV used to be more ambient, right? Like it was more of something you could just turn on and not really pay attention to. Whereas now everything is a show, you know. Like the MTV video thing is obvious, but like you used to turn on the Learning Channel, they would just be like doing surgery at like ten thirty a.m. With no narrator, no documentary it was just like it was just like a camera in a surgery like suite you know uh i I've never seen that before. I question
0: the existence that I, I question that that actually happened.
1: No, that's real that I... it was it was a learning channel show and, and it was literally called operation and like there may have been some like voiceover at the beginning like explaining it but most of it was just the operating room chatter like it was the doctor and the nurses just like talking back and forth it was like a fly on the wall thing tv used oh yeah 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 me me
0: and the listeners 100 percent believe <laughs> you but in, in the meantime in the meantime why don't you tell
1: everybody who our <laughs> special guest is this week no no i want to keep talking about 90s esoterica Okay. Uh, yeah, this week we have uh, the great Audrey Kaufman on the show to talk about Billy Wilder. Yeah, it's great. Billy Wilder, Audrey Kaufman, great combination. You know, Billy Wilder is he is he the director who's made the most good movie? Is he the, like the worst director who's made the most good movies? Like he, he's at the top of that that uh, graph. You know, I don't know.
0: I, I really don't know. That that would be an, an interesting take on Billy Wilder that I'm sure a lot of people would disagree with. But I don't know actually. I don't know if I agree or disagree. But I can tell our, our, our listeners, um Audrey Kaufman is our first two timing guest.
1: Well, that's so, true. we don't and we by two timing we don't mean that she's in some kind of sordid love triangle and she's two timing uh a fella.
0: You know, God damn it. I wanted to skirt past the fact that I said two-timing instead of two-time and you just wouldn't let it happen, (laughs) would you? She is our first two-time guest listeners. Episode 56, if you want to listen to our first discussion, where we talk about the great Ernst Lubitsch, who worked with Billy Wilder on a few occasions. So there Mm -hmm. we go. Mm -hmm. Anyway, had a great time with Audrey. We discuss double indemnity, some Like It Hot, The Apartment. I accidentally thought we were watching Ace in the Hole. Um, and isn't there a fourth one? Sunset Boulevard, did you say that? No, I didn't. That was the one I was forgetting. Sunset Boulevard. We discuss all of those with Audrey. So uh, yeah, it was a good time. Uh, always fun to talk about Billy Wilder and always fun to talk about um, these directors with Audrey. So uh, aside from that, If you guys want to hear more of this back and forth, witty banter where Jacob makes up shit about TV from the 90s, (laughs) Jacob, where can they find us on Patreon?
1: Patreon.com slash silver screen video. We got all kinds of stuff there. Go there, check it out, subscribe, throw some money our way. Um, Yeah, check it out.
0: Yeah, we're doing silver small screen video talking about Mad Men right now. We got a silver screen after dark monthly episode where we just shoot the shit talk about what we've been watching. So uh, yeah, come check that out. See if it's for you. Help us keep the lights on and keep doing this thing. But aside from that, uh, I think, I think it's time to get to Audrey. What do you think? Let's do it. Guys. Thanks for stopping by the silver screen video. We'll see you next week.
1: Folks. I guess this week uh, is the very talented writer and director. Uh, She's a great follow on Twitter. You know, her, you love her. Our first uh, ever second time guest, the one and only Audrey Kaufman. Audrey, how's it going?
2: I'm great, thank you. I'm so honored to be the the uh, first second time guest. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Welcome, welcome back to the show, Audrey. Awesome. Yeah, first
1: I'm uh, first second time guest, and I also think that we're doing something. A bit problematic, you know. The, your first director that we had you on to discuss was Ernst Lubitsch, of course, um, and now Billy Wilder. Um, two uh, things that those uh, two two directors have in common is their uh, Jewish heritage. Which um, I mean, I don't know. Is this is this problematic? What we're doing here, having you having you on to talk about two Jewish directors, you know
2: i don't think so i think it's just like uh you know i have an appreciation for jewish comedy i think a lot of people do maybe there's other people who would want to come on and talk about jewish directors too but i think i don't know we're pretty well represented in hollywood so
1: that's true that's true yeah man. i think so it's you...
2: okay i don't think okay. it's problematic maybe it's even woke <laughs>
1: Oh, like shit, we want yeah. a real
2: like Jewish perspective on this.
1: That's true. That's true. Okay, well then yeah, that's that's how we'll think of it. It's woke. It's not uh it's not somehow <laughs> anti-semitic. Um All right, so Billy Wilder, um you know, we did all the niceties last episode where we uh talked about your uh your budding writing and directing career where you're going <laughs> to be the next uh um HBO you're going to have the next HBO series and all that. So we we don't have to rehash all that. We we know that you're going to be a, a queen in the industry soon. So, Billy Wilder, what's your um, what's your kind of history with Billy Wilder? Um, maybe related to these movies, or related to some of his other movies, or yeah, I don't know. What's your uh, what's your experience watching his movies?
2: Yeah, um, it was actually like my mom showed me his movies when I was a kid. Um, I think the first one might have been Double Indemnity. Um, she was really into film noir. She still is um and yeah and sunset boulevard i think those i saw kind of when i was a kid and just kind of really loved them and i remember being like you know 16 and being like oh like sunset boulevard is the best movie (laughs) Um, i'll never see a better movie um but yeah i think there definitely is that um or was that sort of like appreciation for old Hollywood and Jewish comedy, like in Mm. my family. Um, and so I think that that was kind of like the, uh, um, the reasoning behind that. But I think as I've kind of gotten older and like developed my own work, I think I have this sort of like appreciation for, his craft and i think the same goes for Lubitsch, and that that's kind of the most fascinating thing about watching both of their films is that they're just so well crafted and you can learn so much from them
1: gotcha okay so the movies that we're going to be talking about today uh, just list them off here double indemnity sunset boulevard some like it hot and the apartment um obviously those are his four kind of most famous most critically acclaimed probably most watched movies Um, are there any other Billy Wilder movies that we're not going to be covering today that you um, ride pretty hard for? Because I, you know, looking through his filmography, I've seen some of these, but, like, most of them I've kind of, like, only seen once and, like, not that familiar with. The only one I know that is great is Ace in the Hole uh, from 1951. Um, I've seen some of these other ones, but I don't have a lot of thoughts about them. What about you? Um, Any other... Uh, Wilder movies that, that are favorites of yours?
2: Ace in the Hole I didn't love, but it stuck with me kind of. Mm, right. It was just and and this is kind of like something that's always kind of not like quite sat well with me about like Billy Wilder movies is they are very dark and I think mm. there was like a darkness to Ace in the Hole that made it not the kind of movie that I wanted to go back for to for repeat viewings.
1: Sure, right.
2: Um, I mean I'm a fan of like a lot of the Movies he wrote for Slubich, of course. Like, Nanotchka is my right, absolute right. favorite. Um, what other, like, films did he... Yeah, we got...
1: We, uh, we got... Um, i tell you what, I'm going to go on letterbox actually. I'm going to sort by most I popular. Because I, uh, I'd i be interested to see, like, what are his most popular movies that aren't, um, you know, those four classics that we... I guess five classics, if you're including... Oh, Sabrina. Yeah, Sabrina. Um have you seen Sabrina? Any thoughts on Sabrina? I just remember Audrey Hepburn being very beautiful in that movie, but I don't know a lot. I don't I don't really remember a lot about it.
2: That's pretty much it. And I I she's very beautiful. It's like kind of slow. Yeah. Um I was actually uh watching a documentary about Billy Wilder where he was talking about how for Sabrina, he would write um like three pages of the script or whatever or 10 pages whatever they were shooting the next day he would write it all the night before and then they would shoot it the next day and i think it, you can kind of see that in like what mm. sabrina's like i
1: right. also
2: kind of felt like she didn't have much even though she was so beautiful and charming she really didn't have very much chemistry with um either william holden or um what's his face
1: uh humphrey bogart
2: Humphrey Bogart yeah Yeah. he seemed like way too old for her like in a way that just was not believable
1: yeah I mean this is like 1954 Bogart so I mean this is like I mean just about to die you know (laughs) Bogart uh and you know he he, Bogart had a tendency I think to sleepwalk through at least like 60 percent of his roles you know so uh yeah I think he's uh yeah just putting in the work there what about witness for the prosecution i've seen this movie but i don't really remember anything about it's it got marlene dietrich tyrone power charles lawton
2: i haven't seen it it's on my Hmm. list though yeah
1: Yeah. i haven't seen it either um okay uh john what about you any any billy wilder uh movies we're not going to talk about today that you want to shout out um yeah
0: um not really. I mean, I love all the ones we're talking about. I actually watched ACE in the hole for this episode as well. Um, mm. and I agree with Audrey. It was a bit too dark. I didn't find that as pleasant. Now, sunset Boulevard is pretty fucking bleak, but ACE in the hole was dark in a different way. Um,
1: I guess the only other one I would throw out there is the seven year itch. I like that movie. Mm, right. I find the guy really annoying in that movie. Um, what is his name? Uh, Tom Yule. I, I find myself wanting uh, Jack Lemon to be the main character in that movie. Um, <laughs> but uh, all right. Well, so I mean, st- yeah,
0: that's because I wish he was the main character in most movies because sure. he's amazing.
1: Right. Um, well, let's 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 segue into uh, speaking of darkness uh, and, and kind of bleak cynicism uh, of Billy Wilder. Uh, Double Indemnity. 1944 you know one of the most iconic film noirs um ever i I think this for me at least is probably the most cynical of the four that we're going to be talking about today or the the darkest um but i think there's also this romantic element to it that is outside of the movie which is just the film noir element it's just so beautifully shot and so iconic that you're just like oh it's so glamorous film noir but it's really kind of a bleak movie right
2: really bleak mm-hmm. it's like yeah um
0: i mean i i, I agree as well i didn't want to interrupt uh i didn't want to interrupt audrey um no this it's insanely bleak i mean everything about it i mean the the end of it is i mean just as as the story goes on and you see it unfold obviously given where it starts, you have a good indication of what's going on. Cause I tell you up front, but just as it unfolds and then you mix in the daughter as well. Like it's pretty fucking dark. Like there's not a light at the end of this tunnel for anyone because mm-hmm. the fact that he, like we we're just going to discuss it as if everyone has seen it. So who cares? The listeners have seen it. You haven't okay. go watch it. The fact that he just throw, like gives the kid a nickel. Hey, go call the girl. She loves you. It's like, no, He's going to abuse her, cheat on her and probably leave her. So no one wins in this movie.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty dark stuff, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know. Audrey, what is your you said your mom introduced you to uh, noir and she loves noir. Is this I I feel like this is one of the first noirs that people uh, people ever see, you know, it was your experience with it.
2: I think so. I mean, I definitely went down like a big noir hole. Like maybe it was after this or around this time where I was like also watching. um, What's that one with Edward G. Robinson, Crimson something? That one really struck me. Um, Scarlet Street, maybe. Maybe it was Scarlet Street. He has another. Or Criss Cross was another one that he did. Did you ever see that? Mm -hmm. That yeah, that I remember being really interesting. But what's? It is like such a dark movie double indemnity but it also feels like you're in this kind of like film noir like kind of surreal world where there's so much darkness everywhere that it's not that depressing to see it end up the way it does kind of like the way that um is it who's in that again is it? Is it uh what's the guy's name
1: uh, Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanley.
2: Fred McMurray, he's so down immediately to commit mm-hmm. murder. Right.
1: He, he
2: really did not take very much like convincing, and like you kind of see, like he has like a twinkle in his eye about it, and like mm-hmm. about the plan. he's not doing it like at all, um, kind of against his will. And he says, like, I, you know, killed someone for money and for a girl, and he. Right that's he he's not corrupted at all and so the sort of like emotional arc I think it's it's not very depressing if anything it's just like kind of this like weird cool nightmare that you get to live in for you know a while
1: right it's interesting because I mean I don't know we can talk a little bit about his you know Billy Wilder's background too because he obviously started out as a writer but it what's interesting to me is that Double Indemnity, you know, is so focused on atmosphere. But you know, because he famously said, "The only reason I became a director was because I wanted to film my scripts uh, unchanged." Right? I didn't. I didn't want a director to like be able to like look at my script and be able to change it. Right? Yeah. Which is. Um, not something that you want a great filmmaker to say i don't think you know it's like oh you're not a genius who has like a you know artistic vision blah 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 you know uh but it strikes me in double indemnity that you know for a writer like a lot of his characters are not necessarily complicated you know um especially in double indemnity right because like you said fred mcmurray says at the beginning of this movie like i did it for the money and the woman And I got neither. And it's like, well, I don't think did you really even want either? Because we don't get any indication that he is like, you know, really money hungry or whatever, in the same way that William Holden is in Sunset Boulevard or that he needs money in a very bad way. And also, we don't even really get the the sense that they are that attracted to each other. Right. Like they just kind of snipe at each other and then they fuck the one time and it's like. I don't know, man. It seems like you guys just wanted to kill somebody, you know? I don't don't know what's going on here.
2: There's a coldness. Mm -hmm. And I think it's there's that in Sunset Boulevard as well. And I think it's something that I've, like, only kind of realized on, like, a lot of repeat viewings. is like, actually just, like, how cold the relationships between the characters are. And it's interesting keeping in mind that, like, he was so inspired by Lubitsch. And when you see Lubitsch's characters interact with each other, I mean, there's, like, such like spark and connection and eroticism. And there's just kind of like really not very much of that in wilder movies.
1: Yeah. He's a, yeah. And a misanthrope, I think, John.
0: Yeah. I mean, and, and when, and when they do like have that moment where it's like, the trust is all gone. There's not, it's, it's not like the viewer, like us, the viewer feels any form of loss Mm. because we're never sold on it to begin with. Um, my favorite character in the whole movie is Edward G. Robinson. He was so fucking good. Yeah. Every line he delivered. He was fantastic. The, the scene with the scene, when he sold on it and Fred McMurray's even talking, you were the one we were most worried about. And you seem to be on our side. That scene with, with Richard Gaines as Mr. Norton is the best scene in the whole movie. Like I love the back and forth. I love the way Robinson delivers his lines. He was a true master in this movie. Like far and away, I think the best thing.
1: I mean, his relationship with you know Edward G. Robinson and Fred McMurray, their relationship is almost kind of the core of the movie, I think, or certainly the emotion. Yeah, I mean, their relationship
0: means more than anything else. When they, well, like when when you see that he's disappointed when he finds out the truth, and he implies their relationship was like more than just coworkers, like that hurts way more than anything
1: between McMurray and Stanwyck.
2: Yeah. Oh, totally.
1: Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. I, and what about, what about Stanwyck in this role? Cause I love Barbara Stanwyck and you know, she's uh, I don't know. I, I just think she's such a great actress who brings, I don't know, something different than the kind of classic Hollywood uh, starlet. And, you know, in this movie, she's so uh, cheap I guess like she has this like terrible blonde wig and she's like, you know, parading around in her bathrobe. Like it's not very glamorous, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know. There's something down and dirty about this that feels like kind of out of place in maybe 19 in the early forties, but would soon become, I think maybe the dominant style of like mainstream Hollywood movies. Um, Yeah. I don't know. What do you guys think about Barbara Stanwyck in this movie?
2: I felt like that kind of contributed to the the grittiness of mm. it um, in the way that it was, In I mean, this is like Sunset Boulevard, but um, apparently he was like originally wanted to cast Mae West like as like Gloria Swanson's character. And I think like you can kind really? of see like, yeah, I think like uh, Billy Wilder is like pretty fascinated with like, like the like funny like drunk blonde like tramp character right Right. (laughs) like maybe that's like even how like a lot of characters like are maybe in like the first draft of his um works and then when it's cast maybe it changes a bit but it's like yeah thinking about how that character in sunset boulevard might have been different Hmm. um had she not been cast is interesting because also it's like, that's also a movie that's kind of, it's gritty, but it's also, it does have that glamorous. Right. And I think that that's a lot because of Gloria Swanson.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, a, a glamorous, silent, like a real life glamorous silent film star. Um Yeah. I have this, uh this, this, this thing here uh where uh, Wilder decked Stanwick out in a blonde wig to compliment her anklet, to make her look, this is his quote, Quote, to make her look as sleazy as possible. Um, And uh, some people have said it's too fake. Uh, Let's see. According to Wilder, that was exactly what he was going for when he chose the wig, wanting to project, quote, the phoniness of the girl. Bad taste, phony wig with cheap perfume to match. And then there's this great quote from the uh, head of production at Paramount, Buddy DeSilva, who said, quote, we hired Barbara Stanwyck and here we got George Washington. (laughs) (laughs)
2: It's <laughs> really funny.
1: Yeah, which is uh which is incredible. Um yeah, I don't know. What's you know, I feel like this movie is such a iconic um y- you know, that there's almost nothing left to say about it and that kind of op- works in the opposite in that nobody really says anything about it, you know? Like it's like, "Oh yeah, double din, it's a classic. It's a great film noir or whatever." But I think it kind of gets undersold how how influential it was because I mean the Maltese Falcon was made like three years before this and the Maltese Falcon is I mean like considered a film noir but I mean the the photography doesn't look anything like it does in this movie like I mean it it, it looks like uh, it was shot on an airplane hangar compared to like all the shadows and all the you know stuff in this movie and I, I think it gets lost how kind of revolutionary this was for the noir tradition and how this would be and the snappy dialogue is just out of control in this movie and i think it would become a blueprint for um you know like i said basically the next 15 years of mainstream hollywood movies i think you know um yeah it's
2: john seitz was the cinematographer right isn't that his name or something like that yeah yeah it's i mean it's just beautiful it's really like i yeah i think a lot of it's like influence is a lot the, the sort of like atmosphere and yeah whatever effect billy wilder was going for where he was like i want to see like the dust rising like in this kind of right. um dank room like that yeah type of vibe um was like super influential but i think his kind of dialogue i think that do you even see that that much in film noir? Like quite as snappy as Billy Wilder? I think there's something like a little special about that. And it was maybe a, more influential in comedy.
1: Yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, you know, especially um, the novel by James M. Kane, who, you know, wrote uh, The Postman Always Rings Twice. And then he got Raymond Chandler to help him with the script, apparently, which, I mean, who could... You know, they got that obviously one of the one of the greatest writers of, um, you know, detective fiction in in, in history. Um, yeah, it feels double indemnity feels Baroque, but Baroque implies that It Baroque implies that there's something that came before that was similar. And that this is just like a huge exaggeration of. And it's like nothing really came before that, like, build up to this. Like, this is just, this is like a Baroque example of film noir, but it also somehow precedes all the others, or almost all of the others, you know?
2: Weren't there kind of German films at the time that were doing similar kind of.
1: Hmm. I think in the 20s, you know? Yeah. uh, German Expressionism. You Know, was definitely an influence uh, on film noir. Um, I think uh, Joseph von Sternberg, some of his silent movies mm-hmm. um, were definitely kind of florid and influential. Um, so they were definitely precursors, but it still feels like Double Indemnity is just a shot in the arm at the time, you know?
2: It really is. I think it, but I think it does come down to just like craft, like at the highest level, like in yeah. every kind of part of this film right and so i think then and i think that's kind of it's almost like i feel like billy wilder's like crutch is you can have kind of relationships that are a little bit colder characters that are kind of um difficult to relate to whatever but i think that when you have something as well crafted as his films are in their construction but also in that they're just firing off like entertaining clever witticisms constantly it's like Mm. it's going to be brilliant
1: right yeah it's uh it's obviously a classic john any last words on uh on double indemnity before we move on to uh out of somehow an even more baroque noir
0: not really i mean honestly out of out of these four because like i said I, i i for some reason i thought we were doing ace in the hole so if i was including that that would be at the bottom but out of these four like, Double Indemnity is my least favorite to rewatch. watch um, Me too. Yeah, I think so too.
1: I agree. I think it's the and, weakest and it's of really, these four.
0: Yeah, and that's really weird because as you've already pointed out, like, this is a, a noir that people go back to constantly. Like, it's it's on a lot of lists. People just, like, discuss it on, on various sites and all that. But, I mean, honestly, I would take... I mean, I'll take The Apartment over any of this. I'll take Some Like It Hot easily yeah. as well. I mean... I just uh, it's it's a fine movie, but it's not even close to being my favorite noir either. So,
1: yeah, 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 I agree. It's just there's something about it that is just that is just a little too cynical. I mean, like it, you know, really lays it on thick. Um, so let's move on to Sunset Boulevard, because I think I think Sunset Boulevard does a really great job of balancing that cynicism with not heart, because there is no heart in this movie, but. With a kind of um affection or a if not affection, a begrudging acknowledgement of the of the romance of classic hollywood and uh specifically, I'm thinking about one of my favorite scenes where um William Holden and uh what is the love interest name in this movie nancy Olson yeah is it, is it Nancy Olson yeah um they are walking through an old film set, uh, after they're working on the screenplay. And, um, you know, she says something to the effect of, you know, I, 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 this isn't even a real street corner, but I think I love this street corner more than any street corner in the world. And I love that quote because it, it it's just an acknowledgement of the fact that in the midst of this movie, that is about the, uh, the black pit that is like Hollywood and the film industry and all that, like there is this undeniable romance, you know, this undeniable, uh, pull. And, you know, um, we just talked about Mulholland drive on an episode recently and, uh, you know, it's similar to Mulholland drive in that way. And then it's, it's simultaneously very romantic and also very horrifying. Um, I don't know, Audrey. What's your is it still your favorite movie, or was it just sixteen year old Audrey's favorite movie?
2: It's still definitely up there. I mm-hmm. think, like I said, as I've kind of watched it more and gotten older, um, I think it is. It's a little cold, mm-hmm. um, but I also think it's like fascinating. Yeah, um, and very well done. And I think that you know, growing up here and like being in hollywood or whatever i think that his kind of cynical but romantic viewpoint i think i like really kind of resonate with that mm. you know and i think yeah seeing like miss Olson get uh like kind of disillusioned Right. She's, like, this nice young kid. She's bright. She has this, like, great boyfriend or whatever, and then she ends up in this mess where she's in love with, like, a, like, gigolo, I guess, who, <laughs> 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 like, who then dies. That's, right. that's horrifying. It's, like, and then you think about, like, how is that going to affect, like, her writing career? Is she going to be disillusioned with Hollywood? Is she going to go off to Arizona and, marry that guy and just never go back to it or is it the type of thing that she'll kind of come to see things like billy wilder himself where Mm -hmm. taking in like both that disillusionment and that romanticism and saying that they can coexist
1: hmm i don't know though can they i mean someone got fucking killed <laughs> like, <laughs> I, you know i don't i i mean i don't know i don't, I don't know if billy wilder is saying they can coexist so much as i guess maybe they do coexist which i guess is you know i guess it may, it's a distinction without a difference maybe but um
2: i think they coexist like to the end result of violence
1: hmm yeah Right, Like
2: they're inevitably going to be both together and in conflict. And because of the sort of like, uh, dramatics in Hollywood, I think, yeah, you, you're going to get like a sort of like violent dramatic outcome.
1: Right. And, And, uh, alongside that, uh, that, that conflict, that violence, uh, a host of, uh, Uh, (laughs) rubberneckers, you know, watching from the (laughs) sidelines, Uh, you know, I mean, obviously myself and uh, I'm sure present company uh, all included, you know, um, because it is very fascinating. I don't know, John, what, what is your, uh, what's your sunset Boulevard take? What's uh, what, what would you rewatched it for this episode, right? I did. I did. This is my second time
0: watching it ever and probably my first time in Fifteen years, really? Um, yeah, it's that not is shocking one I,
1: to me. This is one of those movies I feel like I've seen a thousand times.
0: Yeah, it's it's just not one I, I revisit um, very often. I'll tell you, uh, you guys are thinking way too deep on this one for me because <laughs> my thought is I never would have fucking left that house. Um, <laughs> I would have stayed there. I would have been a kept man, and uh, I either would have <laughs> devised. I would have devised a way to kill her. Like after I make sure I'm going to get anything she has left in the house and all that. Or um, I would have just sucked it up and just dealt with it until she died. But I mean, he (laughs) never should have left. She's only 50. Dude, who knows? She drinks, she smokes. I mean, she could trip and fall down the stairs. There's all kinds (laughs) of things that could happen. But all I know is this dude was broke, uh, losing his car. And now he wants for nothing. He was a fool to walk away. Wow, okay. I think
2: he kind of loves her, in a way. Even though he's not in love with her, I think that walking away and and not doing something like that, that is something that you can see, like, a character in a Billy Wilder movie doing. Hmm. But I think that it's, like, even this kind of, this, like, cold guy who you could see doing something like that. She loves him in such a, a... childlike way almost mm. i think there's like he kind of felt bad she was i mean she tried to kill himself because he was with another woman i think he was just like i need to get out of her hair
1: yeah i also think it's part of it is you know what what's the alternative here right the alternative is getting on that i mean you know you like this girl she's engaged You know, but uh, the alternative is getting on that bus back to Ohio, right? You're not doing that, right? If you're this guy, right? You're, 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 even though you're, and I think this may be kind of autobiographical on Billy Wilder's part, you're as cynical as they come, but at the end of the day, you're drinking the Kool-Aid, you know, like you're still, you're, you're still staying, you're still enduring you know the kind of uh, madness of this woman and uh i mean jesus christ that that dinner with the with the band and the, oh my god dude I, I can't
2: even oh yeah i can't Such even watch
1: that shit oh my god it's, it's like brutal a set piece. uh and like I, I think i think he's dealing with that shit all because um you know it, it, it's it's Hollywood, maybe you know, like it's, it's the movies. It's what everybody dreams about doing, you know? So like, you're willing to do anything to, to make that come true, you know? Um,
2: It was kind of unclear though, where his motivation was really coming from because hmm. he didn't seem that interested in his own ideas. Right. It did seem like a money job, but it didn't make him any money. Right so then yeah you were kind of like I was kind of like why is he staying
1: right yeah I mean I, I think it's just to be around the glamour right I mean at least that's you know I don't know um, still it doesn't seem worth it I no think way he didn't he didn't take full I...
0: advantage of, he didn't take full advantage of the situation it, it would have been it would have been worth it I mean I don't know <laughs>
2: You would have done much better.
0: Absolutely.
1: I'm I'm sitting there. You would have been a good little boy uh, and done whatever Norma told you to do.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) This dude, this dude, all he had to do was read this shitty script that this insane woman um, wrote. And, and, and everything was paid for. He could have, he could have milked the situation out of a lot more. Um, No, absolutely. I, I don't, I, that's why I cannot connect on an emotional level. Um, with y'all's conversation because I already have it figured out <laughs>
2: which is that he made a mistake basically he did
0: he did for, for, for a couple of different reasons but the biggest thing is the biggest mistake and this actually um is also something that that, that I thought about is like you knew you know she's insane and you know she has a gun. And there's one thing that every competent person knows never turn your back on an insane person with a gun right. um so so that was another mistake uh, at the very least he he didn't have to leave so dramatically. I know it was the point of the movie but I'm saying common <laughs> sense would dictate just wait till she passes out or something I don't right, know right then, or
1: just let her kill herself you know that too
0: <laughs> as long
1: as your name's on the paperwork <laughs> and I tell you what you do you get with Max. And you, uh, you know, you you devise a little plan and you say, hey, Max, you know, I know you used to be a movie director, pal. If She's got any money. We can just. But wait, isn't that isn't that part of the plot? Doesn't she like not have any money? I guess they could sell the mansion, you know? Yeah, that's
0: the thing. Like, you would still get the stuff she has. But no, I would not mess around with Max. That dude, like, <laughs> he would die for her. You cannot he bring would. Max into this. Like, if
2: she killed him, he would. If he if she killed herself over him, I think he would kill William.
0: Holman. Yeah. Like Max Max was like a no go, dude. He was ready to go to war for her.
1: You know, let's talk about the, the casting a little bit, speaking of Max, because you know, obviously we get a lot of cameos. Hedda Hopper plays herself. Um uh Gloria Swanson uh was a silent film star. Um obviously Queen Kelly. Uh either of you guys seen Queen Kelly? It's kind of a yeah. von Stroheim deep cut.
2: Oh no, I I haven't.
0: Yeah, I have not, but it was interesting. I knew I recognized him from somewhere and realized that he was in uh, *La Grande Illusion*.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's. I mean, uh, Ma- Eric von Stroheim was um, like in, that quote that he says whenever he's like, uh, you know, back in the days there was three directors: there was uh, D.W. Griffith, Cecil B. DeMille, and Max von Mayerling. Like er- Eric von Stroheim was the third name in that in real life. Like he would have been. You know, I mean, he directed *Greed* and. directed some great movies and queen kelly the movie that um she projects that they watch you know uh in her house is a real movie called queen kelly that eric von stroheim directed and gloria swanson starred in so like this is like wow yeah this is like really like real life repeating itself you know um and obviously cecil b demille plays himself uh, and he actually, the, the, set that they come visit him on was a real set at Paramount. Uh, wow. they were making, uh, Samson and Delilah, I think. Um, oh, that's cool. so, so yeah, that was all real. Um, her bridge partners, the waxworks as max calls them were real silent film stars, obviously Buster, Buster Keaton, Keaton. Yeah. And Anna Q Nilsson and HB Warner, uh, Henry Byron Warner. Uh, they were all three uh, silent movie stars. So, I mean, this is like uh, uh, some real legend shit. But, but I love how Billy Wilder, you know, who said Eric von Stroheim was one of his like cinematic godfathers. Like he rewards him by just casting him as like essentially the biggest beta bitch of all time. Right. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, this is like he Max von Mayerling is like simping to a degree that has never been surpassed since, I think.
2: I felt like part of it was almost like paying his penance for like mm. bringing her into this world. Okay. And like I felt like it seemed like he felt responsible in some okay. way. And maybe it is just because they were married. Maybe I maybe I'm more reading into that, but it's like maybe he just still feels responsible for her as her ex-husband knowing that she has no one else, but it also kind of felt like, you know, he met her when she was 16. Like that's like kind of something they say. And so it's like, they don't say anything about it, but Mm -hmm. you learn that then he became her first husband and that she's crazy and unable to sort of like have normal relationships. And so I felt like there was, maybe that was even one of the kind of like, dark underneath things about um sunset boulevard is that relationship Hmm. that's so weird but i it feels like there's a past there that's right
1: like some kind of uh epstein-esque uh past behind their relationship maybe
2: or like or maybe not even epstein-esque but just somewhat like he maybe should have been more of a father figure to her hmm um and maybe that was what she needed being like a young star and that was not what she got she got like you know someone having sex with her
1: i mean like hey i get that i really do i feel bad for gloria you know or norma i guess i should say uh but you know to uh to split up with a woman uh decide to stay on as her butler uh as she gets remarried two more times i don't know man like we're uh we're really reaching some level here but do you think uh, he
2: was the butler the whole time
1: that's a good point maybe he wasn't how long has he been we need a max von mayerling spinoff that's what we need
2: oh that'd be great
1: yeah to try to figure out um what the what's up with that whole thing you know yeah was he the butler the whole time um yeah i don't know what about that ending because I'll tell you, every time I think about the ending outside of the movie, I'm like, "It's a little much, isn't it?" But then when I'm watching the movie, I'm like, "This fucking rules," you know. I think um, it fucking rules. It does. Yeah, right? I think it fucking
0: rules. I, I don't <laughs> think it's. I don't think it's a little much at all. It's. It's amazing. I mean, it's
1: pretty over the top, right? I mean, you know. No, I. I, I think it's perfect.
2: Don't he, you think it's kind of a statement about the over the topness of Silent? film acting Hmm, and that she's sort of like she was brought up in that and that's just kind of like how she lives her life she lives her life like it's a silent film that she's Mm -hmm. acting in and so i feel like it's almost like she's trapped in silent film world okay even though it's talkie time
1: it's talky time. It's
2: talky time. Maybe <laughs> maybe you know, in a in a, another film or whatever about someone who wasn't a part of silent film, it's like she uh it it wouldn't have warranted that kind of over the top ending, but I think sure. it was in line with who she was as a character and also what I think the film was trying to say about yeah, like silent film versus uh more modern like,
1: Th- that makes sense, and I'm not saying it's too over the top, but boy, does it nudge right up to that line you know um
0: <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, it's such an iconic scene there there's very like people that have never seen this movie know that scene like mm-hmm. it is a scene that has surpassed everything it's it's really it's just too iconic to really break down honestly, right
2: I think also what saves it is that it's so kind of brilliant and well-crafted and and everything kind of narratively winds up to that moment in a very clever way and i think if it wasn't done as cleverly um it wouldn't be iconic
1: yeah i mean square one for this movie is a funeral for a chimp you know (laughs) so like if we start there you know there's no reason to be surprised when we end with uh you know, the fake uh him say- him saying action is obvious just horrifying to me because it's like, dude, you you're really enabling some truly insane behavior here. Um
0: yeah, and like that that well, I will admit it's hard to buy like it's just one way to get her down the stairs. And it's like, no, yeah. like you you fucking cuff her and you drag her ass down the stairs. She just shot a man and you're fishing his body out of the pool.
1: <laughs> yeah like for for all of uh for all of billy wilder's like claim to just be like well i'm just a writer you know blah 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 it's like nah bro you wrote this it makes absolutely no sense but you thought it would be a cool scene like mm. admit it you know
2: classic um, director shit
1: <laughs> right exactly like it's a cool scene you know it doesn't mean it doesn't have to make sense um so yeah let's um I was like we're gonna did I have any other topics on uh, yeah any other topics on sunset boulevard uh, before we move on the greatest movie about hollywood right i mean it's even up for debate
2: what do we think about william holden
1: oh that's right that's right you have a hot take about his his casting in this movie i right? know
2: and i don't know that i necessarily feel that way anymore i think like
1: <laughs> okay. i think it
2: was more of a hot i had a hot take that um, William Holden was like miscast in Sunset Boulevard, and I don't know that that's like necessarily fair to say. I think I don't really like him,
1: mm-hmm. and that's it. <laughs> oh okay. <laughs> well, I I, I, I don't will, like his
2: vibe. I don't.
1: <laughs> right. I
0: will double down with you on that. I don't like him either. Um, I Perfect. I mean, for 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 various reasons. Uh, at the top of which, I've already told you guys. I think he misplayed the situation. Poorly. I think he misplayed it terribly.
1: Um, but on top of that, if there's any rich starlets out there listening to this, John wants to be your kept boy. So for a
2: time and then murder you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, just know know
0: that's on the table. Like at some point one of us will die uh in a standoff. But um I uh I didn't really like his whole thing in this movie, like it's kind of it's an aside almost that I wouldn't have even kind of brought up. But since Audrey brought it up, like, I have to agree. Like, I just, I don't know. There's just something about him. I cannot put my finger on it, but I just did not like him in this. He was not a character. Like, like when when Betty said she was in love with him, I'm like, no, you're not. You just hate the guy you're with for obvious reasons. (laughs) And now you're saying you're in love with Joe, but you're not. Because you're just not. That's not true.
1: Yeah, I mean... You know, it's hard to, um, you know, I, he, he's playing it very cynical, right? Like, I mean, he literally yeah. is almost sneering from scene to scene, you know, just like, uh, w- which sometimes works and sometimes it is kind of like Jesus Christ, man. Like, I just
2: think you know, it's unpleasant. Yeah, it's right, not. Right. Well, and imagine if he had cast someone, um, like Jack Lemon in that role. I think it would have like, yeah, it would have been a lot less cynical a film. And it mm-hmm. would have felt maybe like there was some sort of, I think, transformation.
0: But I would but also,
1: also... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, well,
0: well, I was going to say real quick, like also, like if you cast somebody like Jack Lemmon in it, the cynicism is being delivered with an entirely different type of charm. So it wouldn't play the same way. I think the problem is the delivery mechanism, which is Holden. If you would cast someone with a bit more charm... Yeah. with a bit more just something to them, I think the whole thing would have played differently.
2: I totally... Well, even Fred McMurray, even. I think well, is more charming.
1: Well, let me say this. I, this is not necessarily an argument for William Holden, but kind of an argument against uh, an innocent playing this role. Right? Like, thinking just Jack Lemon or really anybody. Like, let's say this was a movie where... Um, let's say this was a movie where... Uh, there's an innocent who gets corrupted by Norma Desmond, right? It's a, you know, similar to the way that Mulholland Drive functions, you know, uh, which is a, obviously a very well-worn trope, you know, the some the person fresh right off the bus, you know, then this would play more like a tragedy, right? And if it ends in his death, but instead, it's not a tragedy. It's actually a kind of a jet-black comedy in a way. And that I think I'm, that that doesn't necessarily justify William Holden, even though I I don't think he's maybe as miscast as you know you guys are saying, but I think it 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 gestures toward not not casting someone who can be kind of less cynical. Like the fact that he is so cynical and such honestly just a fucking asshole throughout this whole movie makes it funnier in a way and makes it not tragic. You know, because it's like, well, that guy was a fucking asshole. I mean, and what did he expect was going to happen? You know, yeah, like like your kind of take, John, which is like, what what did you think was going to happen, my guy? You should have killed first if you really wanted to get something out of this. You know, yep. Um, I don't know
2: that it's I yeah, an innocent definitely would have changed it a lot, but I think someone who just maybe played it with like a little bit more range,
1: sure. That's fair. Maybe
2: not sneering every moment,
1: but maybe. <laughs> right.
2: But you're, I think to have, to see him taken in by the glamour, mm-hmm. rather than just dispassionate the whole time, it might have made sense why he st- stuck with her for so long, beyond That's just true. being trapped. You know, I think it's, it would have just made it a bit more complicated.
1: Yeah. And it also, like like what you're saying, I think contributes to the fact that in those, um moments of like pure romance like i'm specifically thinking about them working on the screenplay and them walking around that scene i mentioned at the back lot and um also the the christmas party which i think is such a romantic or no no is this a new year's eve party or is or a christmas party it's a new year's eve party right um yeah. yeah, I believe it's a New Year's Eve part. Yeah, like there, there's something so romantic about that. And they're like sitting in the bathtub and, you know, just that whole scene. And like the implication there is like, well, he doesn't belong here, you know, like, yeah, he, like he, he's not missing out because he doesn't belong there. He He doesn't belong with a group of fresh faced, you know, people just trying to make the best of it in this crazy city. Like, no, he belongs with Gloria or more specifically, he belongs dead in her pool, you know? Um. Yeah, I don't know anything else about Sunset Boulevard. Nope, I've said my piece.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think I have
1: too. Yeah, John, your 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 displeasure with his uh, his behavior is registered. Um. (laughs) Yeah. Um. Okay. So moving to what can only be described, I think, as the polar opposite of sunset boulevard in just about every way some like it hot 1959 man i don't even have any thoughts on this movie i just love it so much it's it's so funny i think this is the greatest comedy ever like maybe not necessarily the funniest although maybe it's that too but like just structurally and the way the way the movie keeps reversing back on itself it's a it's a mob movie and then no it's a guys dress up as girls screwball comedy and then no it's kind of a love story and I I just I love everything about it um Audrey what's your what's your experience with this movie
2: it's it's never been one of my favorites but I really enjoyed rewatching it this week
1: Mm, okay
2: yeah but it never really but I think what what is interesting is that it is kind of like you said one of the only um films Billy Wilder has where it's like quite as it's a mom movie and a comedy and a romance Mm -hmm. and like a lot and he he even says himself that it's like he tries to make um things kind of simple and consistent generally if if the audience is expecting a comedy you want to give them laughs you don't want anything too complicated and you know drama you know vice versa um But yeah, so I think it's like, it's, it's almost like him being a little bit more like experimental.
1: Um,
2: And I think it's lovely. And I also think, you know, the use of sort of costumes and um, uh, people pretending to be who they are not, I think that's always such a good fertile place for drama. It's something that like, Yeah, Lubitsch did quite like Mm -hmm. utilize that quite a lot Um, and just yeah, in a very like traditional sort of like dramatic way, like costumes are like a tool of the theater as well as film. Um, And so I think that is like really helpful. It just adds just a beautiful touch of like dramatic irony to every situation.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, John, what about you? What's your, what's your some like it hot take? Did, did, uh, do you have any, uh, moral imperatives that you think any of the characters should have should have or shouldn't have done? Uh, Uh,
0: yes, actually, I think, no. Um, I think it's perfect in every way. I think it's Billy Wilder's second best movie. Um, there is never a time I put this on. It doesn't matter what part, like if you just like back when you had cable and you would turn it on, on, the fucking Turner classic movies or whatever, mm-hmm. no matter where it's at, you're going to put it on. You're going to laugh. Um, we oddly enough, I believe we, we talked about this a while back on a Patreon episode. Um, oh, okay. But uh, I, I think it's, it's perfect. I mean, I, I, I stand by that Jack lemon is probably in the top three greatest actors of all time. So I, I I ride pretty hard for that. But also I think that the chemistry with the cast, I think the fact that it does keep flopping genres. Um, I mean, you have these two cross-dressing musicians um, and it's a love story, but you somehow put the Valentine's Day massacre in the middle of this movie, which is a pretty well-known mafia hit. I mean, it, it is just a giant, like, Hodgepodge of just weirdness and perfection. I don't know. This movie is insanely good. It, I cannot believe how good it, it it holds up.
1: Yeah, some of my some of my favorite moments. I mean, it, I think this is like a movie of moments in the sense that this is just it's so hell bent on just pleasure and just kind of pleasing the audience. You know, um, that it is just kind of like a collection of just incredible moments. I mean. Uh, jack lemon as a woman i mean what do we think of i mean he somehow like gets ravenously horny when he's dressed up like a woman like and he also doesn't like seem too opposed with the idea of just like being uh daphne wait is he daphne um yeah yeah, yeah he yeah, wants daphne. to be daphne right right he, like <laughs> over and, like,
2: josephine or something
1: right yeah, that's right that's
2: right yeah <laughs> <laughs> He says, "No, I'm Daphne,"
1: <laughs> and he seems to like enjoy it. On like, like I feel like it'd, easy, it'd be easy to go back and look at this movie and be like, "Well, this is very clearly a uh, early, you know, proto queer text or whatever." And it's like, I think it's deeper than Matt. That man, I think like Jack Lemmon is just having a blast being a being a girl in this movie. <laughs> you know, like he seems to genuinely enjoy himself and genuinely enjoy the attention that he gets from uh, the the rich guy who they drive away with at the end. Um, I don't know. What are some of your favorite parts, Audrey? What are maybe some of the funnier ones or things you like about this movie?
2: Yeah, I mean, I thought it was, and this is something that I only really took in this, like, uh, viewing, but just the way that it's kind of both, um, uh, both of them almost like falling in love with women like as like that's it's kind of like through being women it's like almost when they're freed of their like sort of gender roles as men they're like able to like actually connect with the women that they're talking to and they really like enjoy it and it changes them and I thought it was also really interesting that it's like um especially like what Tony what's his last name Tony curtis. tony curtis tony curtis um when then he's already been pretending to be a woman and he has to then if he wants to deceive her he's forced to pretend to be a better man than he is kind of right and right. not just in being rich it's like really what he like needs to do and i think this this moment was like one of like The standout ones for me that I keep thinking about was like their sex scene with Mm -hmm. Marilyn Monroe and Tony Curtis where it was kind of like in not being quite as like aggressive and making her feel safe he like opened both of them up to like a like great sexual experience and you see how it changes him as a person
1: Uh, yeah that it's it's so completely true that he like it, it does it transforms him into like it's all like a game essentially to you know fuck marilyn monroe but it's also like yeah you can see him uh like like that that scene on the boat is genuinely erotic like in yeah. like like and it's it's all the more so because it's marilyn monroe and because literally like the whole movie is her like swearing off men you know bad guys <laughs> you know like like and, and
2: saxophone
1: it's such, players saxophone players right, and it's such a a cliche and it's such a like I'm ready for a good man you know and like the fact that he is acting at like because I think the central core of the comedy right is that these guys are faking it and they essentially become the things that they fake. you know Tony Curtis's character uh bec- essentially becomes this like fake mogul and starts to take on some of these traits. And obviously, Jack Lemon becomes, you know, kind of a, a frantic, horny woman, <laughs> you know, like it's uh, I don't know. It's really, really funny. And yeah, that sex scene is um, is iconic. And when his leg raises up uh, is will never not be funny to me. Um, now hey, John- Jacob,
0: I I want to ask real quick. Um, I know you're a big George Raff fan. Did you enjoy him as a? You know As what As the
1: gangster. You know what? I wasn't gonna mention it, but fuck George Raft. George Raft, it's on site, motherfucker. If you ever, if you ever show your face in the silver screen video, brother, you are not welcome. It is on site. You better get running. I'll tell you that right
2: now.
0: I feel like your hatred for him has really aggre- taken an aggressive turn since last time we talked about George Raft. <laughs> um, maybe not- it's
2: all the cynical talk. That we're having <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he I'm should to, just kill her
1: <laughs> i'm starting to get tough uh with george raft who's been dead for 100 years probably um you know what no fuck george raft th- th- he deserves this role this role is so thankless and so cartoonish <laughs> like he's essentially doing a parody of the type of role that he would have been in like 25 or 30 years earlier so this is he gets what he deserves fuck why george do you Rath. hate
2: him I, uh, I thought
1: i thought he was pretty good at it <laughs> you thought he was
2: pretty- i don't know i <laughs> just <laughs> yeah yeah why don't
0: you tell why don't you
2: tell everybody i, know. Why yeah. you I, I don't just know why you hate him
1: <laughs> um okay i don't really hate him i'm kind of doing a bit but I, I i don't think he's that good of an actor like we we watched uh what was that Robo walsh movie we watched um uh they drive
0: by night where he was fantastic in it
1: uh, yeah he's like the lead role and he's just like he's just kind of an ass like he's i don't know if you know much about him but he's like an actor who like went and wanted to be an actor but like somehow convinced people that he actually had mob ties in real life <laughs> and like i don't think it was true but everybody believed him and they were like oh shit like we'll cast him as gangsters yeah as That's a gangster so funny and he's just never that convincing and he just kind of delivers his lines and this like staccato like he he's just not good i just don't like him and he's like not he not become like a huge star but he's become like a minor star of like classic hollywood i'm just like get that shit out of here man i don't i don't i don't like george raft yeah <laughs> i don't know wow um, Oh, Sorry, that was, that is, he, was good. Is, is George Raff some sacred cow to you?
0: No, 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 no. That was good. I'm glad everyone is really super clear on why you hate George Raph.
2: <laughs> I needed to know.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of actors that we're not uh, big fans of, John, you are notably not a Maryland fan. Um, that
0: you... That isn't
1: true. Okay. What's I just your... I, I'm I mischaracterize it.
0: I think she is, uh, I'll use the dreaded word. I think she's a bit overrated. Okay. Um, I, I just don't get the hubbub. Um, I love her in this. I like her in the seven year itch. She's perfectly serviceable. But when you start looking at heavy hitting actresses, like her name should not be anywhere on the list. I mean, top 25,
1: nowhere near it. Um, so hmm. that, that's just my opinion. I mean, I think, I mean, uh, I don't, I think it, to, to, to like compare her with other actresses is almost, uh, she's not really playing the same game. I don't think. Um,
2: she's like a star, not an actress.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean. She is
2: star power. Th- there's yeah, And to... I
0: guess that's why it makes me angry to think about, because like, I, I don't mean that, like, I'm going to use this as an example, but I'm by no means comparing the two but like i feel like if she was around today she would be like a kardashian almost and that just kind of makes me think like she's more famous for her physical appearance and for being a star than she is for anything else famous for the sake of being famous and 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 i don't necessarily mean that all the way for her because i think she's fantastic in this movie um but i figured that might be a good a good way to you know kind of
1: audrey quiet. do you want to co-host the podcast now that jonathan's done and not going to be hosting the podcast anymore do you want to co podcast? <laughs> oh, because Lizzie?
2: he doesn't like marilyn monroe yeah <laughs> i think it's fine to have that take i think a lot of people do but i all and i think it's how i felt and then when i watched this movie again i think i like was more charmed by her also i was just really taken in by the by her costumes as well they were so sexy
1: yeah, I mean Billy Wilder f- f- films her better than than anybody else. I think. I, I-, I think his um, obviously he's responsible for the Seven Year Itch and the iconic, you know, uh, Subway Great, um, which I didn't understand until I moved to New York. I didn't under. I was like, what is blowing up? And now I now I get it. Um, Have you
0: ever been on a Subway Great and had your skirt blown up?
1: Uh, just once, but okay. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about that on the podcast. <laughs> um, so. Marilyn, you know, I I don't know, man. I, I just think she's so iconic, and they're so, uh, yeah, the way that he films her, and that that scene, you know, speaking of like sexy and erotic, that scene where she's singing, you know, I want to be loved by you, mm-hmm. and the the spotlight is like, kind of like, uh, like almost like teasing her cleavage in a way like it's you know what i mean like it's like on the same line as her dress like you can't tell me that was an accident you know like it's the way that he like objectifies her is just the most beautiful that any woman i think has ever been objectified in any movie um but i also think there is something that's really likable and charming about her especially um I don't know, man. This character is just so. It's so hard not to like her character in this role. And I don't think it's because of any of the writing. Like, it's not like she's the character is particularly well written. It's just, it's all her. Like, it's, it's, it's all her. And it's all like her vulnerability and her, her insistence on trying to be better, but kind of like continually failing at being better. Um, And, of course, her death, you know, brings a lot of that into perspective and adds a lot to it. Because, I mean, I obviously have never seen some like it hot with a non-iconic dead Marilyn Monroe in mind, you know. Um, I don't know. I'm
2: interested in how it was maybe received differently at the time. Because I think a lot of, like, maybe what you might have gotten out of casting her then, we might not be able to understand now the way yeah. that she was like the pinup right. and the icon and then it's all of these people who've seen her as an icon who is i mean she was alive at the time it came out right
1: oh yeah yeah yeah. she didn't die until yeah. 53 or four
2: yeah um yeah it yeah. would have it, it's it's almost like two of its time Right In a way that I think, like, it it doesn't totally translate to, like, today's viewings. Other than the fact that she has charisma and she's very charming.
1: Right, right. I mean, what, you know, John, you used the Kim Kardashian thing, but I don't know if that's accurate simply because Kim Kardashian is, is very kind of uh, performatively hated, you know? Uh, I
2: was going to say well, she's kind said, of put it's, together. It's <laughs> not true. a, it's not a
0: perfect... It's not a perfect comparison. I was just I I couldn't think of like the that that was the easiest lowest hanging fruit I had.
1: Well, I was just um, trying to think of a comparison, and it's difficult, right? Like, what is who is, you know? I mean, Brittany Murphy is like obviously similarly troubled, but obviously was never a, a star as big as Marilyn Monroe. You know, like I don't. Uh, when is an actress at the top of her, you know, had such like a troubled? difficult life and been simultaneously an icon a big movie star i mean i don't i can't even think of anybody right now who would even remotely fit that bill right i think it doesn't can't happen
2: it. anymore really i think the people who like like our celebrities are pretty boring
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah <sighs> yeah it's true um i think they've learned too it's like with the with the advent of like social media and instagram and all that it's like the opposite has happened where you think they would open up more but it's it's just the illusion of opening up more you know it's yeah. like an instagram live with you know your publicist right out of eyeline you know yeah. um yeah i think our, our our stars have got i think it's the beyonce effect too. i think she had a big effect yeah. on stars being more private you know um
2: though i i also kind of think the other i don't think she would be like kim kardashian cuz i think if kim kardashian could act she would yeah i know. think she would have an acting career if she was as good at acting as marilyn is which i'm not mm-hmm. saying is the best but if she could do that she would totally be an actress
1: that's true and, and marilyn i will say uh i just want to shout out a movie here um she's great and obviously gentlemen prefer blondes how to marry a millionaire, but the one that I want to goddamn damn it. Um, let's see. Let's make love. I think is the name of that movie. Um, Yes. It was from a year after some like it hot and it was uh, a musical comedy uh, with her. And I don't know how to say this guy's name, but Y V E S Montand classic is it eve i think so okay eve montan uh who is a famous like uh italian french actor um she has a great role in that and her role is as a young um kind of uh off broadway actress who is like on on the come up basically and she's very talented and the movie portrays her as kind of like a a sex symbol but also one with a heart like she reads books and stuff and it's kind of protesting to people that she's smart you know arthur miller what um, a actually... manic pixie <laughs> yeah have you seen that movie
2: no i haven't but it sounds oh, okay. great
1: yeah you gotta... it's just a
2: funny way of like making a woman like a like a not like a
1: like a right. slut
2: or something. It's like she reads books.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. 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 It it, <laughs> it it really is. It's become a cliche today. But to see her do it back then, it's like I I, I think Mar- uh, Arthur Miller wrote uh, the screenplay uh, for her uh, in a way, kind of has like a uh, um you know like a love a love letter to Marilyn really. Um, oh, I want
0: to watch
1: it. Yeah, it, I cannot recommend it enough. Her, her yeah, that that's the reason I brought it up because her acting is really like really, really good. She's not doing any stereotypical Marilyn stuff. Um, you know, the voice or the lips. she's not doing any of that. It's it's really, really good. Oh, um, cool. yeah. You know who else
0: is acting is really, really good and needs no one to come to their defense? But first of all, Shirley McLean
1: Mar- okay, Mar- in the apartment. First of all, Marilyn doesn't need anybody to come to her defense. Okay, but I just did. You just, I have did. You just I have, did. Yeah, but I have to. Both because you're a Philistine. That's why I have to do it. You know? I'm just saying. I Shirley thought you were defending, defending her honor. I am. I'm, yeah, I'm de- but she Blaine doesn't need Blaine it.
0: turns in one of the one of the greatest one of the greatest performances in the history of cinema in the apartment. That's
1: all I'm saying. All right, fine, fuck it's it. Really let's good. All right, let's move on to the apartment. Whatever. <laughs> uh, hey guys, Meryl Monroe's actually good. Believe it or not. Um, <laughs> you heard um, you heard it here first, <laughs> or is she? <laughs> okay. All right. Um, yeah. So the apartment. Um, I, I've already said as much as I possibly can about the apartment on another episode. It's literally one of my favorite movies. Um, Audrey, go for it. What, what's what's great about the apartment?
2: It's also one of my favorite movies.
1: Okay, all right.
2: It's really brilliant. It's it's. Uh, we did mention that you know Billy Wilder is a Jewish director. I think it's like one of the more Jewish, like, movies that he has, or just like the right. the sort of the tenants in his building are all sort of like older and, like, old-world Jewish people from, like, Eastern Europe. And so I thought, you know, I definitely thought that that part was interesting. But also it's, like –
1: Well, Jack Lemmon is, like, spiritually Jewish, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I
2: think he's just a good actor.
1: Well, okay, yeah.
2: (laughs) I think it is. I think he's just good at reading, like, Billy Wilder's, like, kind of Jewish dialogue. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think I've. It's never really been. It's one of my favorite movies, but I wouldn't say that it's like necessarily one of my favorite like romantic comedies, because mm. I don't. I think it's so brilliant, and the story's brilliant, and the construction's brilliant, and it's. It's. I'll rewatch it on a, any sick day. Um, but I never really felt like they were a good couple.
1: <laughs> oh, okay okay you know i see that it's almost like uh not any port in a storm but but yeah almost like two people in an emergency situation like both miserable mid-century new york just kind of like coming together um it
2: kind of reminds me of the end of the graduate in a way okay they're not they're not really right for each other
1: right right that's why shut up and deal is is so impactful because it's like let's not let's not think about this any further like just just you know like just shut up and deal it's it's so great one um, i
2: think it's like she doesn't want to hurt his feelings but i don't think she does love him i think she loves like, him but i don't think she's in love with him
0: ooh okay i think this, this i think bald. she loves the idea of him because honestly i, I don't i don't really buy their relationship, I think that, that speaks volumes about how great the movie is, because I don't necessarily buy the love story that they have, like, mm-hmm. but I, I buy the fact that she is buying into what he represents, but she's not buying into this, oh, we're going to get married and and live the rest of our days together kind of thing.
2: But don't you think when you're really like in love with someone and excited about them, that's not necessary? I mean- you know people have intimacy issues and whatever but i kind of think as like an an en- emblematic ending to their love story i think it's kind of telling that she's a bit withholding
1: no i, I agree with you yeah that's true interesting yeah i mean you know i, I will say for as much as um as much as I love this movie, it is not for, like, we just watched, like I said, Mulholland Drive. I can't, I still can't, it's just like you and Dursu Uzala, John. Like, I can't shut the fuck up about uh, Mulholland Drive, but, like, Mulholland Drive. I mean, Drive, yeah,
0: Dursu Uzala, it's obviously better, but that's okay.
1: <laughs> Mulholland Drive is, uh, is like, that is a movie that I'm watching, and I'm like, this is a romance for the ages, Right. Whereas like i I love the apartment and it's one of my favorite movies, but I don't feel that way about their relationship like to me the one of the reasons why it's my favorite one of my favorite movies is because it's about loneliness, and specifically it's about loneliness in New York, which I thought was very romantic until I moved to New York uh, and I realized it's not that romantic <laughs> at all actually <laughs> um but yeah i just i think this is a movie about loneliness i mean that christmas eve man in that bar and the halloween or the halloween party the christmas party where everybody's celebrating and he's kind of in his office and man, one of the great
2: party scenes
1: oh absolutely i think
2: about that all the time that party scene
1: (laughs) yeah and at the beginning, whenever he's, like, walking through Central Park and he sleeps on the bench and he's just kind of, like, waiting out of his, like, beautiful Upper West Side apartment, which I'm sure he wouldn't be able to afford now, like, it's just, uh, th- there's something so poetic and just kind of devastating about Jack Lemon as, like, just the loneliest, like, just the, the, the funniest, loneliest guy in the city. It's just, uh, man, oh man, I don't know, I love it so much.
2: I also like that he kind of like, it. I there's a bit of a critique of capitalism, whether that mm. was intentional or not. Right. I think like how sort of toxic and predatory his workplace is, mm-hmm. is telling him that, I mean, he, ba- you know, he chooses between like love and ambition and it's not like she wouldn't still, um be his friend or whatever if he kept working for that company but it was it was more prideful it was his love for her if anything that right. he was preserving and leaving because right. he knew it was going to break his heart mm. and i think it's kind of it's it's a, a statement of values right. that even if you're you know um just like a single guy in the city you still need to choose your heart over your job
1: damn uh sage advice from audrey <laughs> kaufman on this episode um they're yeah, getting yeah.
0: a lot of good advice this episode well, including how to deal with an old rich woman
1: That's
2: <laughs> great advice
1: <laughs> an old rich yeah you're, you're like joseph cotton in shadow of a doubt just like <laughs> monologuing about killing all these filthy rich women um anyways uh yeah i was gonna say something else too about shirley mcclain uh wait a second <laughs> i'm gonna i'm about to say something right now that is gonna make me either feel like an idiot or is gonna make youtube feel like an idiot did you know that she's warren Beatty's sister
2: whoa no
1: did you know that john uh yeah
0: of course <laughs> you didn't know that did you <laughs> It's insane. No, I didn't. That's nuts. That that is nuts. i How how did we not know this?
1: I don't know. How do people? I, I didn't know that Warren Beatty's sister is Shirley MacLaine. That is insane to me. um Also, married to the same man for thirty years and then got divorced. Nineteen four, sorry, nineteen fifty four to nineteen eighty two. Twenty eight years with the same man, and then you get a divorce. Like, then she
2: got over it. <laughs> it all she needed. <laughs> that's
1: incredible to did me did she get remarried no never not hasn't been remarried she in probably didn't want a years. husband
2: but she wanted to have kids
1: i mean 24 years or 28 years and that's how long it takes for you to be like this is not for me
2: maybe it was their their like kids grew up though you know could be i feel be like that re-
1: she wrote a memoir, so maybe maybe I'll we'll, we'll have to check that out and figure out uh, what the situation is with uh, uh, with Shirley MacLaine. Um All right, anything else in the apartment, you guys? It's a great movie.
2: It's really great.
1: Yeah, that's pretty much it. If
0: you haven't seen it, go watch it, guys.
1: It's perfect. Uh, Billy Wilder, I uh, want to say one last thing. He died in the year 2002, which is really kind of blowing my mind a little bit. Um, that Billy Wilder saw 9-11, uh, that just, that like he was born in a country that doesn't exist anymore. Like the Austro-Hungarian empire, like, and he died in 2002, which is, uh, But I mean,
0: are we sure he knew what 9-11 was? Do we know if he was in a state of dementia did, did he that write age? a
2: think piece at the time
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> hold on well um, hold on i'm
1: looking at his Wikipedia. i'd love page to know right. what he thought i'm looking at his wikipedia page right here and it says yes billy wilder did know what was going on while the planes were hitting the towers <laughs> uh, okay. okay that's on this... wikipedia <laughs> that's right on wikipedia <laughs> yeah he knew yeah it says and he was for it In some <laughs> yeah okay well well that's surprising yeah it doesn't change much though um
2: i guess he didn't drink that much i mean i so many people of the time were such huge drinkers and they died early i think because of that
1: you know david thompson a friend of the show by the way uh, david thompson uh he talks about how people in hollywood like just live forever and like I always thought, like, that can't be true. Like, all, you know, live fast, die young, or whatever. But it's true, man. You look at some of these directors, and especially some of these, like, producers and stuff, they all live into their, like, 90s, and they all die in Beverly Hills. It's crazy to me. But Um, isn't that
2: just being rich, maybe?
1: Yeah, I guess. I guess. Yeah, I guess it's true. Yeah, because, like, what other industry has, like, a monopoly on rich people? You know, like, where they're all rich, you know?
2: Well, or at least ones um, you would know of who are like who you would still know of them, and they're old.
1: Right, 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 right. Yeah, that's true. They
2: like must be so famous and successful.
1: Yeah, way to shoot that down, Audrey. Appreciate that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else on Billy Wilder, you guys? Um, I, I, I'll I'll, say, I'll I'll begin this last uh, last little bit of conversation about him. Uh, I think he was a great writer, and I think he was a great filmmaker, but I don't think he was a great artist. I don't think there's I think he's a little too cynical to really be a great artist or, you know, on the level of someone like, you know, I don't know, Jean Renoir, John Ford, you know, these kind of um, really, really, truly amazing directors. I never put him in that category, even though I really enjoy his movies a lot, you know, Um, I don't know. I just don't put him in that, in that, like, like top level old masters, um, you know, uh, of directors. But uh, I don't know. Maybe that's just me.
2: I kind of Maybe that's my
1: anti-Semitism again. You know, I don't know.
2: No, because I think Lubitsch is an artist. (laughs)
1: Mm, You know? Okay, right.
2: And I kind of think, well, and even the way Billy Wilder talks about, like, his films, like, is that it's kind of like, it's work. It's like a product that he's turning out. And I think he's very talented. Mm -hmm. And so... They're incredible, and I think they still are able to make you feel, but not on the level of someone who has something that they're trying to say beyond just like, "Oh, this is a clever meat cute."
1: Right, right. I agree with that. You know, um, th- there's a story about that famous line at the end of "Some Like It Hot." Nobody's perfect, where that was actually a like substitute line. They were like, "We'll put that in, and we'll think of something else." And obviously we'll, we'll dub it in, you know, at the last minute or whatever. And they couldn't think of anything. And so they gave it to a preview audience and it was the biggest laugh in the entire movie. And they were like, Oh, well, I guess that's in the movie then, which I think is, is, is interesting and telling that it's like, he didn't want to go back and like put, you know, cause I, I feel like great artists and great directors, they don't care what the audience wants. Right. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's an, it's a form of self-expression, whereas Billy Wilder was like. Hey, if the people are laughing, why do I want to change it? You know, well, I'm not going to get in the way of that. And I think that's uh, that's very telling. And, um, you know, it's which is fine. It's fine to be that way, you know? Not everybody has to be a fucking tortured artist, you know?
2: But I also kind of feel like that's where his sort of preoccupation with craft comes from. Is I do think it's kind of compensating for not being able to maybe reach those, like, emotional high points with vulnerability
1: mm-hmm. right
2: because he just doesn't have much of it like yeah and and with his characters and the way that they um they sort of interact
1: Ooh, so that's interesting you're saying there's there's like it's kind of like an emperor well not like an emperor with no clothes situation but almost like there's nothing kind of behind the surface like uh um yeah kind like
2: feel that way I think it's like they're they're really clever stories Mm -hmm. that are entertaining but yeah I, I don't really think that there's much behind the surface when it comes to at least like the relationships you're seeing play out on screen
1: right right
2: but I mean yeah it's like it's just brilliantly like constructed
1: Mm, Hmm. yeah. And also I think he gets a lot of, which I mean, credit to him for casting and for everything, but I think he gets a lot of help from his cast more so than other directors. Um, I mean, because the cat, I mean like, you know, Jack Lemmon, Shirley MacLaine, Marilyn, Tony Curtis, you know, like it's on and on and on just a murderous row of great actors who knew how to, how to say his dialogue. Um, John, I don't know. You want to weigh in on this? What do you think? Is he a great artist or is he uh, just a great filmmaker?
0: I I would lean closer to saying he's a great filmmaker opposed to him being a great artist.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I just, I feel that there's, you know, we, we've had this conversation about a lot of directors over the many episodes we've done. And I don't feel a lot of warmth in his work yeah. as an yeah. artist. I think he is a master of the craft. I think he knows what to do think he's a fantastic writer but i don't feel a lot of what i would like to when it comes to directors that i truly love and appreciate as artists and filmmakers so no slight to him i just i i don't necessarily buy he is what you would call a true artist
2: well i think that's um, kind of what he's missing with the Lubitsch touch i think he knows how to like emulate it with kind of uh you know, uh, motifs and oh, we'll do uh you know a kind of clever thing with this prop or whatever, and it'll work dramatically. But I think he's just not really able to capture like the spark between people.
1: Right. Yeah, it's uh, it's a craftsman as opposed to an artist type thing, um, which uh, you you never get the, you never get the. The, the feeling that you get sometimes with lubitsch that he's capturing a miracle with this camera you know you never yeah. you, you you never get that feeling you never get the fact like you always know that everything on screen you're seeing in a billy wilder movie has been fussed over to the nth degree you know
2: i also feel that way with uh george cougar movies that it's okay. kind of a miracle sometimes what he's able to capture
1: really okay yeah
2: a little bit, just the same feeling with with Lubich at least where you feel like you're like watching like a like a real moment between people, and right. I think they used to you know similar uh maybe like methods like long takes, sure and a lot of two shots and whatever but i and I think that helps
1: interesting, okay, yeah well uh. George, uh, yeah, I've always said Q but I'm sure that's pro- that's mispronouncing it. Um, interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can I can see that. I, I actually I'm looking through his filmography. I should probably uh, rewatch some of this stuff: Philadelphia Story, um, Adam's Rib, etc. Um,
2: it's a similar vibe. I, okay. I think you'd like them. Um, yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, Holiday actually is really good. You know, the Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn one. Um, yeah okay all right yeah I'll, I'll close with one little small anecdote from our, our like i said friend of the show david thompson he, he you know that that quote in uh in sunset boulevard he says uh that she had a childish scrawl you know which is uh yeah v- very vivid phrase right it, i think it sticks in the mind a little bit and david thompson in his way is just like you know a real director would have shown us this, that childish scrawl, instead of just having one of your characters say it.
2: I think that all the time about his voiceover. Yeah. And that's something we actually didn't discuss, but like, I mean, until now, but yeah, the I don't know if I like the voiceover. <laughs> I don't know if it works.
1: The voiceover to me is always, it's almost all. Oh, I just watched the Jean Renoir movie The River, in which... The voiceover is um, has kind of a different effect, and it obviously can have different effects. Like in Badlands, I think is a great uh, is a great voiceover, but I think a lot of times the voiceover is just the writer trying to convince you how smart they are by by their crackling, you know, prose on the on the screen almost, you know, um, yeah, like it's just it feels very like the writer is trying to show off almost in a way. Um, It
2: makes sense, I feel like, in Double Indemnity because it's adapted from a novel. Right. But it's... And I mean, that's the problem, I think, with adapting, like, novels over, like, plays is that you maybe have a lot of great, like, language and things going on, like, on a more interior level. Right. But as far as, like, expressing it in the exterior, it's like... Right. yeah i don't know that it really works i don't know that it is great filmmaking to use voiceover i think it's kind of lazy
1: okay we well, heard it here first folks billy wilder a little bit lazy, lazy. You know? a little
2: bit a little bit lazy
0: not, not a billy crazy... wilder is a lazy talentless hack
2: <laughs> i know it's like my favorite director and i'm like he's kind of lazy yeah
1: he's not an artist and he's fucking lazy but he's my favorite director um <laughs> All right. Well, Audrey, it has been a pleasure to have you on again. Uh, We will have you on to discuss uh, a Gentile director next time. uh, So (laughs) as not to typecast you. Um, You got anything to plug before we let you go, Audrey? Yeah. Are you working
0: on anything
2: new right now? No, I'm just I'm just vibing. So I'm just uh, I'm happy to be here. And uh, yeah. That's okay it.
1: well hold on a second a you're not just you're not just vibing because <laughs> i was on your website earlier and you've got a list of scripts that you either are currently working on or have already finished i mean
2: yeah no but i don't know it's like can you really plug something like that
1: uh yeah all right
2: all right you know what yeah Fine.
1: you'll tell us about your fun scripts There.
2: No, I have um, I have projects I'm working on, but when I when I uh, actually make something that I think is like consumable, I'll I'll let you know. Okay. so. Yeah. All right,
1: all right. To be uh, to be continued. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, let us know when you get that uh, that Louis C.K. deal uh, from. You know. <laughs> um, all right, Audrey. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for talking, Billy Wilder, and uh, yeah, it was great to have you.
2: Thank you for having me. I had a lovely time.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Audrey. We'll mm-hmm. be